Tonight's a very, very special edition of the podcast, an edition of the podcast I know I've been waiting to do for two years, and some of the other people here have been waiting for, you know, four years or so to to sit here and record, and we have like seven people here, and uh, it's more of a town hall meeting or like a Democrat national debate than it is a podcast, but we'll uh, do the best job we can and get through this and celebrate and revelry, the fact that the Bill O'Brien era of terror has finally come to an end. So tonight we have... L4 Blitzer, how are you doing tonight? You know, it, like I'm saying before, I think that this, stunned by the timing, didn't expect this move to get this quick, but I, I think it's the right move, especially if all the reports to be believed that he was losing people inside the locker room. That was his last last bastion of being a coach, and if he lost, you know, like Watson and Watt, then, yeah, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, we also have Upper Texan. How are you doing tonight, UT? I'm outstanding. How about you? <laughs> Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Joe? I'm doing good. I'm doing. I'm doing real good now, and I'm not drunk. Not drunk this time. That's good. Uh, we have diehard Chris. What's going on, Chris? Football time in Houston. <laughs> Bobby the Clown is dead. <laughs> I am excited. We got Carlos. How are you doing tonight, Carlos? Stros win. Texans fire Bob. I haven't been this happy in years. Oh, the Astros win? Yep. Oh, yes. And, of course, we have the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFT. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! (laughs) (laughs) This erection's going to last for, like, four weeks, baby. (laughs) No more Bob. (laughs) Uh, so do you have anything you, you want to get off your chest before you have to go let the chickens out and, and keep working and working and working? So I got to go. I can't hang around. So sorry. I know that my adoring fan base loves me. So uh, especially those. That, yeah. Anyway, uh, I just want to say <laughs> that, that this should have been done like three or four years ago that the Houston Texans have missed incredible opportunities that we've had the honor and the privilege and the pleasure of watching Bill O'Brien burn this franchise to the ground so he could have his STD players. Not that kind of STD. So I'm just really, really super excited. This is the first time I've been optimistic about the Texans in a couple years now, and I can't tell you what a relief that is. I don't think I've ever been as down on a team. Look, I grew up in the 70s. I watched, like, the 75 Houston Oilers play football. They were, like, 1-13. and I had seen some really, truly horrendous football in my life and rooted for the teams. I grew up with the Astros, but nothing has actually made me like physically depressed, like watching a Bill O'Brien team dry hump its way up and down the field <laughs> in a vain attempt to score points and not kick field goals. So Bill O'Brien has been trash for years. I'm BFD. Outsies. I like it. I like it. So if you didn't know today, the Houston Texans fired Bill O'Brien, and I guess it was Cal McNair made the decision, or uh, maybe he worked with his mother, Jan, as she held his hand and worked his way through it. 
They gave him the pep talk he needed to fire Bill O'Brien and, you know, conquer the dragon. And I know last night, whenever Joe and I talked, that I really had no, like, feel for it. I was just, it was just something for me where I, was, I wouldn't expect him to get fired until it happened, you know. It was kind of like the Bill O'Brien super, or Tim Kelly super vertical, super cool, kill them all offense, where it's like, until I see it, I don't believe it. And it's kind of similar with the Bill O'Brien firing as well, too. And there was also some concerns that, you know, down the stretch, you know, maybe they would score 30 points a game or something the last month, and there'd be enough moral victories and diatribes about, you know, we finally figured out our jobs, and we have a lot to build on. Maybe he'd be able to stick around for another year or so. Uh, kind of similar to 2017 in, in that sense also. Um, so, Chris, how shocked were you by the news that rolled in this afternoon? Oh, I was totally shocked because um, I guess, you know, being following this team as long as we have, obviously, you know, Bob was slow to make decisions like this. And we really have no feel for how Cal is going to handle this. I mean, a lot of people say a lot of things about Cal. Cal McNair does not care, that sort of thing. But we really have no idea what what he's going to be like as an owner. So I was very pleasantly surprised by this because I figured that in uh, a season where the previous offseason, the head coach had also become the GM and there were all these like changes and they're finally doing things the way that only O'Brien wants to do that the owner would probably give him more than a year to get to that. So I was, I was shocked. I did think, I did think there was a chance he'd get fired this season, but I thought it would take something like a two and six before the bye week Mm -hmm. before we got there. But I mean, this was maybe a topic we'll get onto later on, but I, I don't think that it can be understated just how much sort of damage is done here. Like a certain political situation our country is in, no matter what happens with the guy in charge, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of damage that's already been done here. And, you know, it's going to be an attractive job for the next guy because of Deshaun Watson, but also the lack of draft picks, you know, that's that's going to be tough to overcome. Uh, we can get into that. But, yeah, I, I, I was definitely shocked. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things, too, like it was kind of weird how it worked out where Bill O'Brien has press conference and he talked about like, well, we need to be more balanced on offense and we need to run the ball more. And 26 times is pretty good, but not good enough. I like to imagine Cal McNair has been, you know, listening to the podcast and reading Bell Red blog and uh, reading on the internet as well too. It's like, wait a second, run the ball is stupid, especially when we're down by, you know, two scores and everything else. And so I like to think that, you know, that's what kind of also spurned this decision to fire him after he still, I was when he commits to the run. So UT, you wrote a beautiful children's story. Do you think that (laughs) that continued insistence on wanting to run the football still after everything kind of led to his firing this afternoon too. As much as I like to believe he read my, as much as I really like to believe he read bootlegs and slam, I'm not sure Cal McNair knows what the internet is. <laughs> so <laughs> I just think the fact that he lost the team was really the driving force of the whole thing. Cause I mean, from records that come out on Twitter and that's going to be fun to watch over the next couple of days, it was just, he just, once you he's lost the team and that's kind of what drove Something had to be done. Otherwise, you're just going to get you could go all in 16 with, at that rate. Yeah. And Scott, I know you mentioned that earlier about the reports that have come out that, you know, Bill O'Brien may have lost the team. Um, you know, that and also in addition to that, like O'Brien doesn't have anybody left at all. He pushed Rick Smith out. He dropped Charles Godsey in 2016 midseason. He fired Brian Game, became the drill manager, tried to sign Nick Casario. That didn't work out. And they also took Tim Kelly's job from him um, this year as well, too. And it seemed like he was kind of pushed out by Jack Easterby, maybe in some sense this time. And so not only did Bill O'Brien lose the locker room, but he had nobody else to fire, nobody else to put the blame on as well, too. Uh, how much of an impact do you think both those factors had in his firing, or has it just come down to you know being 0-4 at the end of the day? Uh, I think what 
hurt O'Brien ultimately was when he decided to deliberately wear both the GM and the head coaching crown. I mean, that that's not, you know, those jobs are difficult by themselves, but if you're trying to wear dual hat with GM and coach and given Bob's temperament, uh, which those things that might help him be a good coach do not make a very good general manager, very emotional, uh, not necessarily making the calculating decisions you got to make as a GM. And I, and I think when he became the GM, that was the downward slope. And then when he traded Hopkins and the reaction that got from the team, particularly Watson and Watt, the two guys you got to have on your side if you even want to have a chance. I mean, it seemed like maybe, okay, he brought in some of these other receivers. Watson was kind of like, okay, we'll let this work. But when it wasn't working and everything that came out with Hopkins, I think that was, you know, in retrospect, and I know we're going to keep doing the postmortem, I think Bob was dead man walking. And then the start that got off to with this schedule, it, and then if he lost Watt and Watson, which that may come out later, yeah, that that was probably what did it, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and like this is year seven of the Bill O'Brien era, or it was. I guess it's year six point two five of it, which is so absurd to you know, say it out loud, and it never it never like fully makes any sense to me. Um, we think about how many times it's been around the sun, and and have just like seen the same results over and over again. So Carlos, like you personally, like when do you think Houston should pull the bl- pull the plug on the Bill O'Brien era? Did you think like this was the final time? Were you hoping this happened in their last year, maybe the end of 2018? Uh, when were you ready for the end of the Bill O'Brien era? Strangely enough, I was actually pretty ready for this around 2015. And I know it was super, super early on. But if I, I vividly remember being at U of H at the time and just constantly capping on the Texans because, you know, U of H was doing pretty well at the time. And I figured, why would anybody want to watch the dumpster fire on Kirby instead of watching them? Um, we we did end up making making the playoffs that year. And, you know, we just got absolutely demolished by the Chiefs at the time. And from there, I just knew that Bill O'Brien was never really going to work out. And, you know, the the countless times that he never got over the hump, I just had an early feeling that it wasn't going to be a, a good match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And personally, for me, I, I we, you know, BFD and I did a podcast, I guess, after the Colts loss in 2018 when they fell down 21-0 at home. Whenever it was an entire season where they played that ball control offense, and it's like, well, whenever you play against teams that are going to throw the ball, you're going to be in a hole, and, uh, and you have to pull your way out of that. And we saw that like the Jets game that year and a couple of other times where you know, Sharice Frank can cover anybody. And then, then they actually start throwing the ball downfield more vertically based. And it was like the regular season was supposed to be like a, like a begin, like a, I guess like practice for the postseason for that team. And they didn't take advantage of it, and they weren't ready to play against Indianapolis. And so after that game, that was when I personally was ready for Bill O'Brien to be fired, and it seemed obvious that he wasn't even the guy. And, you know, we saw another um, second-round playoff. We saw a second-round playoff exit last year, and this own four-star has just kind of, like, continued to prove that he is in, um, you know, very good at the role that he was in as well, too. So, Joe, what about you? When do you think Houston should have pulled the plug on Bill O'Brien? I, I think it was I, – I agree exactly with what you were saying. I think – that loss at Indianapolis and the hemorrhaging of talent that we that we saw uh, in that 2018 offseason where we lost Kareem Jackson, Tyron Matthew, um, a, a few other like veteran players on that on that defense, and he did nothing to replace them. I feel like that loss, coupled with doing very little, if at all, to replace all of that talent being lost, was a recipe for destruction. And now we are 
we are we are seeing that now and i feel like ownership should have realized at that moment that bill o'brien is not prepared for the duties of gm and head coach mm-hmm. yeah i think that's even like a role that nobody is prepared to have and i guess belichick's the only guy who kind of does both at the same time but he has a lot of delegation involved there to make it out make it work out for him on that end um so chris bill o'brien finished the 52 and 48 record as head coach of the houston texans this would be only the second losing season in his seven-year career with Houston. He won four AFC South championships. He won two playoff games. He beat Oakland, Mac McGloin in 2016. Last year, he beat Josh Allen after he lost his mind uh, in the second half of that game, which is still so beautiful and perfect. And he never made it past the divisional round. So, Chris, what do you think will be the enduring legacy of Bill O'Brien's time in Houston? Well, I think it depends on who you ask. For me, it's going to be that he got the golden goose dropped in his lap and then did not know what the hell to do with it. you got a franchise quarterback, you know how much talent he has and you still try to make him into Tom Brady. And I, there were just so many times during the Bill O'Brien era where he said things and maybe they even had some hires where you think, you know, well, they're thinking a little bit more like, you know, new, new, you know, like the newer school of football, like they have a lot of resources devoted to analytics and this and that, but the on-field product was just some old school football that is just not, you know, relevant in the modern era anymore. And you even have Bill O'Brien saying unbelievable things like when we get a hundred yards rushing, we generally win. I mean, that is just unbelievable incompetence to me. And, you know, so for me, it's always going to be his, his mishandling of Deshaun, the fact that he was an offensive minded coach and never really had a very good offense at all. And just the fact that, you know, he valued division championships so much and was always throwing that in their, in people's faces, even in his last press conference after he'd been fired today, mentioning <laughs> the four division titles, during which time everyone else in the division went to the AFC championship game. I just, the, the guy just is, he just seems so thick headed to me, but, but yeah, for me, it's always going to be him botching ha- uh, having Deshaun Watson um, that's that's always going to be the legacy for my money mm-hmm. yeah I think that makes a ton of sense and it, it always kind of felt like with O'Brien's State coach especially with the Watson rookie contract where you've seen like what Buffalo's doing this year what Baltimore's doing with Lamar Jackson what the Rams did with Goff what Kansas City did with Mahomes what Seattle did with Wilson like that's the the cheat code to building a Super Bowl team and you know, Houston kind of wasted that entirely with them and, uh, and I do think that's a, that's a really great way to, to put it. So the O'Brien did have one positive offensive DVOA during his time in Houston as an offensive head coach. Last year, he had a 0.2% rating, which was a 17 finish. That was the, the highest Woo-hoo. rating during his six years here. Hang the uh, banner. <laughs> yeah, positive. Uh, you have four AFC South Championships <laughs> yes. banners, and then you have a positive DVOA banner 2019. Uh, so he, he this he, he hum he hamstrung this offense with bad quarterbacks and a ball control attack for the most for the majority of the time he was here. Um, UT, was there anything that Bill O'Brien did well as a head coach? I think if we're talking like on-field performance type stuff, like calling plays and stuff, no, not really. I think his best, the best thing he was able to do was basically keep the team in, up until like recently, be, be able to keep the team uh, together, like really show the kind of he really did as much as we hate the phrase anymore put the team first i think he was really good at being able to um 
keep the team together and I can't think of the words all of a sudden. Um, but basically, he's all. I think he was really good at doing the behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did seem like he could. He got the bare minimum out of his team. You know, like he was at least comp in that facet where even whenever Houston went zero and three in two thousand eighteen, he could at least like you know keep everybody, you know, keep the locker room. And it did seem like this was kind of the end of it um, for this for you know this own four start here as well too. I. Carlos, what do you think was the biggest problem that Bill O'Brien had? Was it the fact that he wanted too much control and spread himself too thin? Was his, was it his offensive play calling and design? Was it his inability to get his players in position to succeed? Um, you know, problems like actually getting talent for him. What do you think was his biggest problem as a head coach slash general manager? I think Bill O'Brien's biggest problem was one, just his play calling ability and his time management skills as a head coach were just so incredibly awful i mean he just consistently put us in terrible positions having to climb out of holes and you know by grace of deshaun watson being deshaun watson being able to make adjustments and open things up and you know make something out of nothing um and pulled us back into games that we would then either proceed to win by a score or lose um we never really had blowouts and you know i think that's a huge issue that he had during his but another one is his inability to separate, or at least his, his choice to choose character over talent when it came to his players. Um, the inability to remove his ego out of the way to deal with somebody like a DeAndre Hopkins or like a Jadeveon Clowney um, that resulted in moving them away for you know pennies on the dollar. Uh, so to me, that's probably the biggest thing is his inability to work with his star players and, you know, remove some of his own ego out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it definitely like with the Hopkins trade, that was a trade because of, you know, like a, an employee employer relationship gone sour. It wasn't because it made the team better and all this sort of nonsense that he spewed out after the fact. It was because they didn't get along at all anymore for whatever reasons. And, you know, I've heard like, like I haven't heard any of the rumors personally. My source hasn't divulged that, divulged that information to me. But uh, you hear, like, inklings that I hope that what I heard wasn't true because it was, like, that bad of a relationship, and that was the reason for that trade. And, you know, the client trade, they just botched that situation entirely. Um, but that makes sense. And, you know, Scott, whenever it comes to, you know, Bill O'Brien, do you think he was better as a head coach or as a general manager? Well, say what you will about a head coach, but, I mean, you look at his performance as a general manager, and... That tenure is going to take its place with, you know, NFL does those top 10 specials, like top 10 worst GMs. He's definitely on the list. Um, it, I mean, okay, you botched the Laramie Tunsil, Davion Clowney mess. And granted, they, they got their hand slapped trying to go after Nick Cassero, but it, you'd have thought you'd at least learn from that. And then why they weren't trying to hunt down another GM, I'll, I'll never know. And you would have thought, okay, he, if he was going to take on this dual-hatted thing as a GM, you'd have thought he'd have learned. But then we saw with the Hopkins trade how that, it was, you know, that's that's going to be hurting us for a while, and not just beyond the season, the season, unfortunately. So, uh, say what you will on head coach. I mean, not the worst of head coaches. I think there were some good things he was able to do, uh, as mentioned before, particularly how he's able to keep the team with him and rally from bad starts, but. Head coach and GM, that, that's not 
you know, his GM performance is going to go down one of the worst of all time in the NFL easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of funny that, like, his best, one of the best things he did as a head coach was fix the problems that he created, you know, with bad starts and those sort of things. Um, and, yeah, I think one of the problems to this team has moving forward is that they didn't, not only did they trade Clowney and Hopkins, but they didn't get enough of a return for them. And those are, you know, those are like limited resources. You know, you don't get to trade those guys twice. You trade them, and that's the end of it. And they just didn't get enough value back from it to actually build and improve this team. It seemed to actually actively worse, you know, by making both those decisions too. And so, like personally, my favorite thing about the Bill Bryan firing isn't necessarily that like the Texans may be better because of this. I'm just, you know, it was just hard to enjoy this team, you know, for the last six years. It was, they were pretty boring. They were pretty bland. They didn't do a whole lot of interesting things on offense. And they went from a team with that was had a great team with a really great defense and bad quarterbacks to a bad team with a good quarterback that they're at now. And that inability to converge the two together and actually build a great team, you know, limited them. But it was also a lot because of how, you know, boring this offense was was with the ball control and the consistency to keep the defense off the field or keep the defense off the field and those sorts of things. And so like I'm just really excited just to watch the Texans play and have fun watching them. Because most of their games are better reserved for being really hungover on the couch where, you know, you still feel the, the alcohol you have from last night kind of rolling down your spine. And it really wasn't like, you know, really intense, exciting uh, games a lot of times. It was a lot of that kind of boring, basic stuff. Um, so, UT, did you really enjoy these last 6.25 years of Houston football? Or are you like me and just like very excited for the opportunity to, you know, watch a team that's, that actually plays an exciting brand of football and is going to be like, you know, enjoyable to really watch again? If we're going to be honest, I've not been able to really enjoy Texas football for probably three years now. To the point where in the last four games, I've been joking that I've been feeling completely nihilistic about this team, like nothing matters. And the fact that he's gone after four games, it's like, oh my God, maybe there is a chance that this could turn around. I mean, they're not going to be good this year. There's just just going to be too much upheaval with Romeo Cornell. I don't think he's that good a coach. But there's the potential that maybe things could turn around if, God help us, Jack Easterby. Ideally, Jack Easterby's gone, too, at some point, but hopefully he can pick someone decent if he does for reasons I don't understand, stick around. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Chris? Are you excited to have fun watching Texas football, football again now that Bill O'Brien's gone? Yeah, I'm absolutely excited. Um because now it's kind of, you know, the, this, this is a basically a lost season. And I'll tell you this, like, I, I'm, I'm, I've never been one of those fans who would root against my team to improve draft position or root against my team so that they would fire the coach. Never in the history of me being an Oilers or Texans fans have I ever felt that way. I finally felt that way about Bill O'Brien. I actively, I hate to say it, but I actively did want them to lose this game against Minnesota because I want him gone that badly. That's how now when, when a fans like, like me who aren't like the reactionary, more hot headed, like fire everybody kind of guy, mm-hmm. when, when people like that start having those feelings, you, you know, it's bad. And, you know, apathy had started to set in. And, and I think we've all said before, you know, apathy is worse than anger when it comes to a fan base. And I know that apathy set in because yesterday for the first time in my life, I fell asleep during the game. I literally <laughs> fell asleep. Not even making that up. When Fairbairn kicked, I think, his second field goal, I woke up. They had three points, and I could not remember how they got them. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens now. Um, 
I, I really don't know how exciting the offense is going to be when additional Bill O'Brien is still running the offense. I mean, Tim Kelly. And, uh, you know, who knows, like, what this does to a player's attitude um, and their interest. Like, I don't know if they're going to get a shot of adrenaline and be like, okay, they're excited again to play, or if it's just going to be like, well, this season is – you know, in the trash and I just don't care anymore. So um, from that perspective, I, I hope it doesn't go south, but it's good that we can just root for them to win with no question because it's not like they're going to improve their draft positioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I don't really like the Miami Dolphins uniform, so hopefully we don't help them out at all in any bit by <laughs> losing games this year too. Right. Um, so Joe, what do you think was the highlight of the Bill O'Brien era? I think the highlight of, the, it was probably the wild card win against the Bills because that had such a like a, a movie like quality to it the way that Deshaun Watson willed that team to victory and how Josh Allen fell apart in beautiful fashion um it, it it felt like the team had finally come together and was capable of taking on anyone because of Deshaun Watson's uh like wizard powers um and that continued for a quarter and a half against uh Kansas City and then reality set back in Bill O'Brien went back to being Bill O'Brien, and that was the peak of Houston Texans football in pretty much all of its history was that brief moment because we finally had a franchise quarterback that was playing like a franchise quarterback and downright outplaying most other quarterbacks in the league, which probably kept Bill O'Brien's like from entering the hot seat for a while because Watson was legitimately playing like an MVP for several weeks at a time last year. Um, so the the height was probably the postseason at the beginning of this year, and then the low is right now, obviously. <laughs> what about you, Carlos? What do you think was the highlight of the Bill O'Brien era? I think the highlight of the Bill O'Brien era, I mean, is I'm going to have to side with Deshaun Watson's, you know, rookie season and him just coming out and flaming people and, you know, it looked like he had set the world on fire and Texans fans and uh, in uh, specificity. Um, you know, I think that was probably the most excited I've ever felt with Bill O'Brien at the helm. And what I realized when I started transcribing his final presser was that I've spent more of my f- uh, Texans football life with Bill O'Brien than without. Uh, because, you know, I was kind of at the tail end of the Kubiak years and, you know, Bill O'Brien's kind of been what I've come to know. And, when I look back at it, I think I'm only going to be able to look at that small little stretch and appreciate it for what it was. And then after that, it was just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and trying to make Deshaun Watson into a guy that I don't think he really is. And, you know, I think those few games where everything was just cut loose and I think Bill O'Brien actually stepped back and was like, okay, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Sean cook. It was beautiful. And since then, you know, it's been Deshaun with the muzzle. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I think the rookie year, like those five hot weeks in 2017 where they kept running just like fake uh, jet sweeps and then throwing play action bombs off of it was the probably the highlight of the O'Brien era. And it's funny, too, because it's like we really remember fondly those games in that 4-12 and 12 season. And uh, and it's, you know, they they were a very good team all that, that year and they lost a bunch of close games. And we watched a lot of Tom Savage, but there was that glimmer of hope. And it really kind of reminds me of four-year-old virgin Paul Rudd's character, where he has like that one girlfriend he's hung up on that he dated for two weeks, and he describes as like a mystical experience the entire time or whatever, you know. And I really, and it really kind of is like that's how it was for Houston fans in 2017. 
and the Texans were never Bill Brown was never able to rekindle you know that magic again even after Watson whenever he came back from his ACL tear they're like yeah we'll run this drag flat RPO offense and uh, try to get Darren Fellas up on the flat instead so I know it's a it's still a long ways away and you know I don't run it it's hard because I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and so they about head coaches and general managers but you know that's kind of what the way it works whenever you're a fan of the game you kind of always think about what's next instead of what's going on right now. And so, Scott, are there any head coaching or general managers that you have your eyes on right now as Houston tries to go from, you know, a team with Bill O'Brien to a new regime? Well, I, I think, you know, the head coaching one might be a little uh, easier to discuss. I mean, I, I think the one I'd love to see at this point, I think a lot of us probably, you know, Eric Bieniemy. I think if, you know, like, hey, Whenever the Kansas City Chiefs get done with whatever they're going to do this season, we got a nice uh, place for you down here in Houston. Uh, but I, as big as the head coaching is, I think the critical one, and it, I think that's kind of the theme I've got tonight, is they've got to hit the general manager. You know, whoever they're going to hire for the GM, and I don't know if they're going to try to make another run at Nick Casero. I don't know. You know, personally, I think Cal ought to try to get on the plane here to Baltimore and do, you know, make an offer to Ozzie Newsom. He can't refuse, so he can come down to Houston for a couple of years and try to build up what they did in Baltimore. But they have got to hit the GM because the next couple of years, um, I think a smart, clever GM with a good head coach, particularly one that can develop players from lower draft picks, I think they can weather the storm. But otherwise, we could be looking at a, you know, maybe a little gloom and doom here, but, you know, you're looking at some of those downfalls that hit. You know, things like this could set a franchise back for multiple seasons. So we're suddenly going to look like the Tampa Bay Bucks of the 80s or the Bengals of the 90s type thing. So uh, they have got to hit the GM higher. That needs to be the top priority. Uh, head coach, you know, the enemy be great, but I'm sure a couple other pro, you know, hot coordinators out there I'd be fine with too. Probably an offensive one that gets, you know, that can work with Watson, but they have got to hit the GM. That that That's a given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the weird thing about this too, and I think the scariest thing is that there's a lot of talk about Jack Easterby. I know Pierre King wrote about that this morning. That Jack Easterby could be the one who uh, manages the Texans going forward and hires the GM and hires the head coach, or even names himself the general manager as well too. And so the first listener question we had tonight was from at Eddie underscore Hassan and diehard Chris. He asked if Easterby is part of the head coach hiring process. Is almost certain they'll make a red Josh McDaniels. And how do you feel about McDaniels as well? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not in on McDaniels really. Like I just uh, I I'm not gonna get hung up on how he did the Colts a few years ago and all that. But I, there is a little bit of me who's just like I don't really want to be in in business with that guy now if i thought he was going to be an amazing head coach i wouldn't care just like hey i was excited about earl thomas coming i don't care how many women he had sex with with his brother if he's going to be a great (laughs) player bring him here i don't care but i'm not at all convinced that mcdaniels is going to be a great head coach i mean all we have to go on is his time in denver which was kind of a mixed bag you know so um yeah I, i wouldn't be too excited about that and i and i'm a little bit worried that easterby is still with the texans like why this was not a clean house situation, I don't know. When when you have a head coach and a GM, I feel like it's a package deal that needs to go. Now, I understand that O'Brien mm-hmm. was also the GM, but he clearly was also working very closely with uh, with O'Brien. So, so to me, to be the most attractive destination possible, it needs to be a clean slate 
Um, and Easterby may not actually be the acting GM, but if he's still there, he must have some kind of role, and uh, Cal must have some kind of role in mind for him, unless he's just going to bump him back down to, you know, team chaplain or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and that would be preferable. And I was saying, too, like with uh, Earl Thomas, you know, maybe he's just signed with the Eagles with all that brotherly love that he has. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand the Easterby thing at all, and I hate him, and he's the worst, and um, the fact that he, you know, was able to have this much of an impact on the team just by saying, like, things on Twitter that um, you know, guys who take pictures of their Mercedes, you know, emblem with the watch, you know, post on Instagram, you know, like that's what <laughs> the type of mindset we're looking here, but just with a Christian slant. As yeah. A Taurus into a Pisces. Matt, Matt, can I just say one thing about Easterby real yeah. quick? I, one thing that I really, two, two Texans employees that I wish would have been with the Texans at the same time, I would love to hear what Arian Foster would think of Oh, working with Jackie Easterby, you know, because Aaron oh, Foster is that guy oh, who just, he's different. He's got an opinion about everything. He doesn't get caught up in bullshit. I would love to hear what Aaron Foster would say about his time with Jackie Easterby after like playing a season under him. Yeah. Jack Easterby go on Aaron Foster's podcast. Oh, please. <laughs> oh God. I, that, I would pay to listen to that. Rock. <laughs> Podcast. That's like a mini series on Amazon or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so UT, this is a question from my good friend Greg. He asked, "In live Bill O'Brien's firing, I have a question. If Jack Eastbury stays in his current role, will this limit the Texans' ability to attract the elite coaching talent required to take this franchise to the next level?" Oh God, um, that's a good question. I want to say. Maybe because I honestly just don't know much about Eastbury. I'm, I'm sure who anybody knows that much about Eastbury other than he used to be like the team chaplain and the chief motivating officer or whatever the hell he was. His title was. So <laughs> if he's the general manager, which Durga help us all, if he is. I don't know any coach that would like see that and think, you know what, this is this is a good spot for me. I, I can make this work, and that's. And you combine that with the lack of uh, draft picks they have and the uh, defense we have, it's not it's not exactly something that fills me with a ton of optimism. With Easterby being there, I mean, I'd feel largely better if if there were a, a real general manager there, because at least they know what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's I mean I think the concern too it's like it turns into well let's get some retread you know. Like I could, I could see like you know Easterby talking to Cal McNair, and be like, "Hey, let's give Tony Dungy twenty million dollars," you know, and he hasn't coached in you know fifteen years or whatever because he fits that same sort of culture, that same sort of idea, whatever a head coach may be for you know, Jack Easterby. And I, I don't know a ton about him, but it does seem like there could be some issues there too. Now, one one of the things that I think is important, you know, I know like we're very excited that Bill Bryan's gone, that sort of thing. And like regardless, the Texans are being a more fun team to watch and things are gonna be a lot better. But I don't think this is a team that's just a head coach away from being like a like AFC, you know, championship contender sort of team, you know, or you know, even being like a, a shoe in to make the playoffs. They have a lot of defensive issues um because of the decisions this team has made. You know, they have offensive problems and also just like looking on the future, they have David Johnson on big contract, Brand Cooks on a big contract, they have to make a decision on Will Fuller. Their offensive line still hasn't worked down. They've put a, a ton of capital and resources into it. And so this isn't this doesn't feel like a team that's just a head coach away from 
you know, being like win loss record better. But I do think they're a head coach away from being you noticeably like more enjoyable to watch and more interesting though. And so Carlos, do you think, do you agree with that statement? Or do you think the Texans, you know, if they, if they like hire an absolute slam dunk um, head coach and that they make a great hire. Do you think Houston can flip around to being a good team as early as next year? Or do you think that there's too many talent issues here for that to happen? So it, it, I think it really depends on what we're looking at as good. If we're looking at making the playoffs again, if we go on a ridiculous run and somehow make it back, yeah, sure, that's great. Um, I mean, I think it's going to take a little bit more than just a head coach. I mean, even if somehow, some way, like let's say we rip Eric Bieniemy off of the Chiefs' sideline and just drop him on ours, um, I think that there's still some problems problems with offensive talent. Um, you know, at the wide receiver position, obviously, I really think that um, it, most of the guys on the in the current room just really don't have it anymore. Um, and I think probably the biggest red flag for any potential coaching candidate is going to be the defensive side of the ball and just like what in the world is going on over there. Um, you know, we've got so much money tied up in, in Merck and JJ and, you know, Merck outside of the two sacks that he kind of lucked into, um, in the last game, he's really been non-existent and also looking at the secondary, you know, that's a big concern. I mean, what are you going to throw Lonnie Johnson back out there? Like, what are you going to do? And, um, you know, I think a good coach can definitely help get back on track and at least set the game plan for the future. But I think even in terms of next season, it may not be a problem that we can fix in that time frame. I think it might take a little bit longer than that. And especially without the use of draft picks. Um, I mean, it's just, it's really choppy waters for somebody to walk into and navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that too. And I know Scott mentioned you know, the general manager position being more important than the head coach position um, because of that. And like I so like the Texans, they have they're missing their first and second round pick next year. They haven't hit the draft aside from Justin Reed and maybe ties how the last two seasons, like he still has a little bit of ways to go. And then even going back the last four seasons, the only draft picks that have made any impact on this roster are Nick Martin, who's a very average player, if you want to even say that. Will Floor is always injured and very inconsistent. Deshaun Watson and Zach Cunningham, who's been unable to tackle since signing his big contract. And again, they've also pushed out more talent than they brought in the last two seasons. And this is, and again, the talent they have here are, you know, it's an older team. Like, Watt's not the same. McKinney hasn't been the same. Um, they've had problems on on that side of the ball where the guys that they kept around haven't improved, and they've gotten worse um, just because of age since then, too. And so, Joe, do you think, like, this is a, a really good job for whoever the next head coach is going to be? Do you think this is a good, like, a, a good, like, foundation of a team to be able to build around for whoever the next general manager is going to be? Um, I certainly think it's a good foundation because you have a all-star quarterback, which any head coach and general manager is looking for. Is looking for. So having Deshaun Watson, that immediately bumps up the interest in the Houston Texans job. Everything else is a mess because uh, of the defense, the cap nightmares, uh, the lack of talent, especially on defense the age um, that all requires uh, a, a big, you know, analysis, whoever they bring in to interview will probably want to take a long look at the players and see if any of their young players like Blacklock or Grenard or John Reed or any, anyone on defense, even Lonnie Johnson 
they have to look at least acceptable so that the the coach can think I can coach something up here to at least something respectable until 2021 or 2022. Um, I, I also want to mention we should definitely learn from the Jets mistake in 2018 when they interviewed Matt Roll to be their head coach and he refused the head coaching job because they wouldn't allow him to select his own coaches under him. So I feel like if Easterby is going to interview anyone, we should learn from the Jets and let whoever we're going to hire, let them hire their own coaches and pick their own underlings to support them. Even if it's the enemy, even if it means Cal McNair saying we'll get rid of um, we'll get rid of the GM and the VP and we'll let you bring in someone from Kansas City if you want. We have to be completely open with whoever we bring in and let them just hit the reset button if they want to, because this is a mess. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the biggest like I like I think you hit it you know really well. You know the biggest indicator of consistent success in the NFL is having the quarterback position locked down. The Texans at least have that portion of it. I just think it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult though to build the next good you know Texans team around Watson because of the talent they have available to them and also the lack of capital and picks they have too. And also like they're paying Watson and you know Larry Tunsil like fifty five million dollars combined you know, next season. And uh, and it's they don't have the same salary cap flexibility that they've had in previous years as well. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of maneuvering. But at the same time, at least having that position locked down. I think the biggest concern I have, like as far as the Texans being good, is them kind of falling into some sort of like you know lost year swing that the Packers have there in Rodgers earlier this decade. Um, that the Seahawks kind of had with Wilson earlier uh, last decade as well too, or in the middle of last decade where they went to the Super Bowl and then had trouble building a team around him after that. And I could see that happening as well um, with Houston. You know, even though Watson's 25, it's not like a, a very easy you know, job to slide right into. It's not like the Texans in 2013 or 2012 after they fired, or 2013 after they fired Gary Kubiak. It isn't like that easy of a job um, that they have available to them right now as well too. And so Diehard Chris, I know that you have a, uh, a movie comparison for Bill O'Brien. I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> right. So we've all seen uh, The Matrix, I assume. Um, and unfortunately, I'm guessing that we've all probably seen the sequels as well. If you remember O'Brien, like early in his tenure, he had bad quarterbacks and he was often able to do something with them. It just reminds me of a situation that happens to a lot of directors in Hollywood where they have no budget, like they're doing their first movie. They have no budget, like the Wachowskis. The Matrix wasn't their first movie, but it was a low budget movie, even if they hit it well. And then you give them a huge budget, like the Texans gave B.O.B. Deshaun Watson, and it's the worst garbage you've ever seen in your life. It's happened to so many directors. Martin Scorsese was a genius with no budget, and then he gets big budget movies, and a lot of them are overblown and too much, and he didn't hire the right editor, and it's just a mess. And that that just makes me think of O'Brien, because... You know, you remember those times. I can even remember back when I forget what happened, but they had lost whoever their starting quarterback was, who was already bad. And they brought in the second or the third stringer. This had to be 2015, maybe even his first year in 2014. And they came out in that game and had all kinds of crazy plays. They, they did like a halfback pass. They were running the Wildcat and they ended up winning that game against who it was. I don't recall. But he showed early on that he could change things and adapt and roll with the punches and sort of pull a rabbit out of the hat and do something crazy with it. And then he gets Deshaun Watson 
And this, and this is another thing that I think goes back to his legacy. If you remember when O'Brien first took the job, it was we're game plan offense, we're game plan offense. Well, the damn game plan was the same every time. Run the ball up the middle, run the ball to the right, run the ball up the middle. And then until this year, it was run the ball on first down every single first down. Like if, if there was a game plan offense, were they playing the same team every week? Like I don't understand. Yeah, that's a great point. And like this Viking games as well, too, playing against the bad pass defense and waiting until, you know, six minutes left in the third quarter to give Will Fuller a shot down the sideline was absolutely unbelievable. And like they've been so bad at like exploring mismatches early. And it's and they it takes them 40 minutes to find weak spots that anybody with a, with access to game pass and pro football reference can figure out as well, too. Um, so we have some I do like that comparison. That's really great. Uh, so we have some more listener questions for tonight. And so the first one goes back to Jack Easterby. And um, I have this question for you, Scott. And so this is from at Lurch67. And he asked, also, why is Easterby still here? Isn't he isn't he nearly solely responsible for the soon-to-be disaster? Or was he re- solely responsible for the soon-to-be disastrous Cook's trade? So what role do you think Easterby will have? And do you think he was the main reason why the Texans added Brandon Cooks this offseason? I think with Easterby, he's kind of in that strange position. He was not technically GM, you know, kind of that vice president of football operations. So that's one of those very nebulous job titles, which can mean whatever it mean you need it to be. And if that means for him that he needs it to be, well, it's kind of a more front office administrative position. I don't have anything to do with the player decisions or personnel. He can play that card. And, you know, that would probably have saved him in the uh, final purge of Bob. I also think, though, you know, Cal, and again, we don't know how he's going to be as an owner. Is he going to have the patience of his father or what's he going to do? We don't really know. But I can also see where maybe, you know, and a lot of the reports had that, you know, uh, Easterby was trying to do like the evaluation of the whole team, another kind of nebulous thing. So I, I don't know if Cal totally wanted to completely clean house at that point. Yet now, maybe at the end of the season on Black Monday, you know, Easterby joins Bill O'Brien in the unemployment line for however long that's going to last. But I, I, you know, as far as the Cooks trade, he might have had some say in there, particularly after the reaction to the Hopkins trade when even Watson was dropping hints, he wasn't happy. And if you lose Watson, the game's over. So it was like, okay, let's see if we can get another receiver to try to replace Hopkins and at least, you know, let Watson be somewhat happy and you know at least Watson was putting up a good front yeah that's cool but um you know I I think that was more kind of a combination between Bob and Easterby but I don't you know as far as him staying uh, we'll have to see what happens to him at the end of the year Mm -hmm. Uh, Cal may not have wanted to purge both yet but we'll see Mm -hmm. Uh, so Scott with with Bill O'Brien gone how do you say is it Bob is it B apostrophe OB is it B-O apostrophe B how are you going to always remember it? <laughs> B-O-O-B. No, um, I think um, I'll just go with my the classic one, uh, B-O apostrophe B. And honestly, you'll probably see that pop up again. I, I don't expect uh, Bob to be out of a job for too much longer, uh, whether it's a coordinator or some college may come kicking the tires to see if he wants to do it. I, he'll, he'll be back coaching again, uh, probably I wouldn't be surprised if he's coaching again next season somewhere. Uh, don't give him any personnel decisions. Or if you put him in near the GM office, you know, <laughs> well, you should know better. But 
Uh, I, I expect him to coach again. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so yeah, that brings up an uh, interesting question because I think I could see Bill O'Brien like definitely coaching like Northwestern or something like that, and maybe getting into a Holiday Bowl one day. I could also see him being like the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars, um, just because him and Doug Marone really like each other and they're good friends. And it seems like really similar to the Jason Garrett situation as well, too. Uh, Carlos, what do you think is next for Bill O'Brien now that he's gone and out of here? That's funny that he mentioned coaching Northwestern because I could totally see him going to like some, you know, little program and trying to work his way back up there. But I think like a Midwestern program to feel more at home and, you know, have his uh, have his recruiting class be mostly STD, you know, white white kids out of, you know, Wisconsin or the surrounding area. Um, I, th- I think that might be his personal little like Nirvana. But, um, you know, I could definitely see him getting a coordinator role. Um, I, I am really excited to see where he lands because if he manages or if he gets the itch to like pull another one of these power plays that he managed to pull off here in Houston, I think I think he might just be able to kind of weasel his way into getting it done if it's at a college program. I don't think any any NFL team will take a flyer on him at a head coaching position anytime soon. Um, but I think as a coordinator role, you know, uh, he he'll land somewhere and. I think you're dead on with him being buddies with Marone that, you know, maybe we'll see him land there, but I would love to see him actually go down to college. Um, Penn state had a lot of things to say (laughs) about him and, you know, supposedly the uh, tension between him and some of the larger donors and uh, boosters. And it's a huge politics game down there. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's something that might entertain him and like he's better suited at than, the rigidity of the NFL. Yeah, and he also gets to pick his players as well too, and go out there and talk to him about you know, being tough and smart, and dependable, and and building like an actual culture like that, which is a lot more important and a lot easier to do in the college game than in a professional game as well. Um, UT, I, I had a question for you from at Phil Johnson. Why? And this kind of goes back as well too to the Easterby thing, because the Texans still don't have a general manager, and although they don't. Football doesn't stop. You know, they still have college players to scout. They still have free agents to scout for next year. They still have internal scouting. They still have to add players as players get injured. They have to manage injured reserve. They have to handle all this COVID protocol going on as well. Do you think Easterby's going to be the one handling these decisions for the rest of the year? Or does Houston have somebody, or do you see somebody else uh, taking on this role now that they don't have a general manager and a head coach? I do think it's, as much as I hate to say, I think it's going to be Easterby for the rest of the season because with, with Bilbo gone, that's what I called him. Um, with Bilbo <laughs> gone, there's there's really a complete power vacuum there, and the only one who is even close to the general manager position is Easterby. And again, you're trying if you're going to replace the coach and general manager midseason, you're going to try and do it and create as little disruption to the team as possible. Which means you're going to be looking around for whoever happens to be laying around. Congratulations, you're the new guy. And I think for this season, at least, and hopefully only this season. Easterby like doing all the all what would be the GM job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think it's going to be him, uh, and he's the one who makes the most sense. And like I, I that even sounds scarier than that. Kind of like makes me wish O'Brien just stuck around for another twelve weeks or whatever, so there'd be some um, stability in that facet. But yeah, like everything's empty. It's a complete wasteland. It's kind of the last day of school for Houston now as they try to navigate the rest of the season. And the other questions we have here. Are a step more involving the rest of the year. The Joe, the first question is from at Eddie underscore Hassan, 
and he asked, how excited are you to see Tim Kelly get the chance to take back his play calling duties now that he doesn't have Bill O'Brien to handcuff him? Honestly, I'm actually I'm actually kind of excited because I, I have a feeling that like they're gonna treat this as they have to absolutely lose their minds if they want to keep this job, and the, the the possibility of them keeping their job is really low. Um, so I feel like that he's going to go guns a blazing and try radically different play calling every week and try anything he can in order to keep a job or look good enough to get hired somewhere else, like maybe the Jets or something next year. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like him and Weaver, now that Bill O'Brien isn't there and someone isn't over breathing over their neck, they're going to do anything they can to look good. And I'm hoping that means that they finally just take advantage of what they have on offense and, you know, get it, get exciting. Make it, make it entertaining. You have Brandon Cooks, do something with him. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I bet uh, Kiki Cutie is really happy right now. Uh, you see, do you think? <laughs> You think he took Cutie with him over to the doghouse and he's just still in the backyard over there? What do you think Cutie's doing right now, UT? Oh, I think you saw him. I posited like a couple weeks ago. I think he's having the time of his life in the doghouse. But uh, in actual fact, I think he's pretty glad Bilbo's gone and hopefully we'll be able to get him out to see if he actually, if he can play. Because recall the last time we saw him, he gave up a pretty badly timed fumble which more or less cost him the game although i think if he hadn't given up they would have lost that game anyway mm-hmm. but i think he's gonna finally maybe get a shot at you know seeing the field again yeah i think so as well too and the the next set of questions we have here is from at smooth grandma and this is you know, my personal favorite segment of every show i know it's uh, our producer's favorite segment as well too um, so, Chris, which player do you think has the biggest turnaround now that Bill O'Brien is gone forever? Um, I mean, <laughs> I hope it's Deshaun Watson because uh, he needs a turnaround right now because, you know, there's been a lot of issues that are caused by O'Brien, but I'm just afraid that some of the things that have gone on, you know, could could ruin him, which is another one of the reasons why I'm really glad that Cal – McNair had the cojones to pull this trigger so much earlier than any of us could have possibly expected. So hopefully Deshaun, but I think the guy you just mentioned, Kiki QT could be a guy who benefits greatly for this. Now, yeah, he's had a couple of bad fumbles, but is there a single player on the Texans, a skill position player, not named Deshaun Watson, that when you see him on the field, like you are afraid of that guy's speed, like just the, like he has that extra hitch in his step. that I think actually one of the problems with QT when he gets a little bit out of control on the field is because he's so damn fast. He opens it up so hard that he kind of loses a little bit of his own body self-control because when I see him like turn a corner and a guy has an angle on him and he's able to shoot past him, like it, it, it surprises me every time. Like that guy's got every tool imaginable to be a deadly weapon in the right offensive coordinator's hand. So I think mm-hmm. if he can get his stuff together you know, hang on to the ball. And I don't want him to slow down by any stretch, but I want him to figure out a way to control his body enough to where he doesn't have to worry about losing the ball because man, that his yards after catch can be scary. And now that he's out of the doghouse, like the Texans have nothing to lose, man. They have nothing to lose. Now it's basically a lost season. Put your best guys out there, you know, sit Randall Cobb's old slow ass on the bench and get <laughs> in there and let's see what he can do put him and fuller near each other and see who they decide to double team like 
let's let's open it up. Yeah, let's get Scotty Miller out there. Let's uh, let's ha- uh, like let's let Bro- Ross Blacklock start an entire game. How about no more Sneo Calamense? Like, there's a wide variety of young Ugh. players who will get the chance to actually you know get out there as well too. Um, Carlos, who do who do you think is the biggest surprise benching coming up? Like, can you see an older veteran um, get the boot for a young guy? And if so, who do you who do you see that happening to? So, since I think Rack is going to be stepping in and really looking at the defense and what can be retooled there, um, I think I wouldn't say it's really a surprise, but I think Merck might be there. Um, maybe Rack wants to take a flyer on Jacob Martin and give him more. Uh, more snaps and, you know, get a better mix in there. Um, he's probably the easiest one to think of. Um, in terms of a surprise, I might have to look to the backfield, um, or at least the secondary, looking at, you know, one of the safeties. Justin Reed's fine, but I think Eric Murray, you know, I know he's been coming in in a pinch, but uh, I don't know what A.J. Moore's status is because I know he was kind of the primary there. But, you know, we definitely see him get put down and maybe they throw uh, Jalen Watkins in there for more time. Um, but I think it's definitely going to come on the defensive side and Merck's probably the easiest. So it's not a surprise, but you know, maybe we'll see one of these secondary guys get, get put down in favor for a younger guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think Merciless is probably the easiest one to see. And, you know, like getting Jonathan Grenard out there more, getting Jacob Warren out there more um, is an easy spot. Like I think they can cut Merciless too after this year and be okay, or maybe it's after next year. It's, I can't remember. I think it was either a one- or a two-year contract that they extended him to. Uh, but I think Merciless is probably the, the biggest expectation there. Um, so, Joe, do you think Houston beats the Jaguars this week, and do you think they could beat them by more than 14 points? I think they'll beat them. I don't think it'll be by more than 14 points. I think, um, like you guys said earlier, I think it's going to be like season over, like have fun, do anything, do anything you can just to – make make it look exciting and i think tim kelly is gonna open up the offense a bit more it won't be amazing or anything but the jaguars are bad uh their defense is especially bad so we can even have like a mediocre offense like we've had these past three weeks and still put on like 20 plus points on them and hopefully it'll, it will do enough to contain Minshew. so i still think we'll win um that might be it for Doug Marone. I feel like he's on the hot seat too, because Jay Gruden is almost certainly there as the next head coach of the Jaguars. So it's only a matter of time before Jay Gruden becomes the head coach there. And then I don't know what happens to Doug Marone and uh, Bill O'Brien. Maybe they'll get hired by the Jets next year. That's <laughs> that's my prediction. I think that'd be beautiful. I couldn't think of anything better. I couldn't think of a, of a better way to waste Sam Darnold um, last <laughs> year in, in New York than by doing that. Uh, so, Scott, do you think this – so, like, last year, it, the Texans didn't score one opening drive touchdown until A.J. McCarron came in week 17. This year, they haven't scored one opening drive touchdown so either. Uh, Scott, do you think this is the weekend where Deshaun has his first first drive touchdown? Do you think it finally happens this weekend against Jacksonville? Well, I think at this point we just consider an achievement if they can manage to get a first down or two on the opening drive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If they do, great. I mean, I think something of note, uh, and again, take the Twitter universe for what it's worth, but a lot of the stuff that came out once O'Brien was gone, it seemed like, you know, and I think a number commented, like players were walking on eggshells. It was very tense. And if that's the case, just day in, day out of practice, you're going to play pretty tight. Um, it, 
it's possible too. It could be a last day of school, senioritis, like screw this, whatever. But it could also be just incredible relief, like the burden's been lifted. Go out and play, and, and maybe it could be a fun game for the Texans. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go on a hot run all of 2018. But uh, you know, and Jacksonville's as good a team as any to get your first opening drive touchdown of the year. I don't know if I'd bet the mortgage on it, but you know, I think be curious to see how practice goes and the mindset of the team. If they do feel a little bit relieved and they feel, you know, the burden of not having to worry if Bob is going to rip your head off, um, it might bode well for the next few games. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, good a chance as any that they do, but <laughs> we'll have to tune in Sunday to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think one of the things that makes football kind of like untankable is because you can get really hurt if you if you don't try on the football field. And I was like how short these guys' careers are that, you know, all the tape they put on the field is used to evaluate them um, as they try to find new contracts and new deals uh, next year. So I couldn't see, like, Houston taking the year off. Like, I think they're still going to play hard. I still think they're going to try to win games and everything else um, this year. So it's still going to be, like, even though, like, the season's over from a playoff perspective, I still am excited to watch this, you know, stupid team play uh, without Bill O'Brien throughout this year. So our last smooth grandma question at UT is, is uh, for, our last smooth grandma question is this morning I thought life was void and empty with no direction or reason at all, but now I ask, is there really a God? Uh, BFD, what do you think? I mean, uh, UT, what do you think about this? Well, I could answer that question, but I don't think you're going to like it very much. <laughs> I and it would it didn't have much to do with Bill O'Brien in the first place, but honestly. I think life is feeling just a little bit better with Bill O'Brien no longer holding all the reins of power in the Houston Texans football team. Yeah, it'd been fun. Like, I think I've been very happy if it was just like, yeah, we're saying uh, Bill O'Brien can no longer be the general manager. We're actively pursue one now. Like, that would be a really incredible thing, um, let alone him being fired today. So that's all, all the questions we have. Those are the, all the questions I have. And, um, this is very beautiful and interesting and uh, very fun. I'm very happy to do this. And so before we end tonight's show, I guess I want you all as final thoughts after, you know, hearing the questions we've had and the responses we've had and had some more time to stew and think about it. Um, so, Carlos, do you have any final thoughts at all on Bill O'Brien being fired today? So, as I said earlier, Bill O'Brien's kind of what I've come to know when it comes to Texans football. And a lot of times when I think of my favorite uh, moments from Texans history, it always goes back to the Kubiak era. This has always been kind of a dark, shady, you know, slog fest. And coming out of it and having Deshaun Watson at the helm leading this team, it's going to attract, you know, it's probably the biggest attract attraction point uh, to sell this team. However, it's it's good to take the victories when you can. And I think today, Especially on Twitter. Today was like a celebration day. Today is everybody unbuckle your belts, just let it all out and, you know, uh, take it in. And then all the worries and concerns about draft capital, about cap space, about um, the future of this team and what it's going to look like and, you know, who we could possibly be looking at as candidates. Let's save that for tomorrow and just take time to enjoy you know today yeah i think you can even say that for like the next you know three or four months as well too um as long as the season's going on but i like that it's very beautiful 
about you, Dyer Chris? Do you have any closing thoughts for the, the end of the Bill O'Brien era? Yeah, I just want to say like, I, I did enjoy Bill O'Brien for Bill O'Brien as the coach, not necessarily the product. But, you know, the hard knock season was fun. You know, he, he was kind of a character. Like, if you really think about it in the course of your life, you don't really come across too many guys, you know, in your real life that are true characters. And, of course, none of us know Bill O'Brien personally. But he, he, he's a real character. And, you know, the story about him and his, uh, his poor son who has that horrible disease, like, all, all that stuff. Like, it's all a good story. And I was – he was the guy that I wanted, you know, when they – he was – you know, I was totally in favor of that hire when it happened. And, you know, I, I, I do I do like, you know, the Bill O'Brien persona um, now as far as it leading a football team. No, not not so good. So, you know, I hope he I hope he lands on his feet. I hope he does well. I think I think the way he acts in uh, as far as a coach is much more suited to the college game than it is to, um, you know, other adult young adult millionaires. You know, I don't think his act will will sustain in a professional um, environment. So I, I wish him well and wherever he ends up. Um, and, you know, I'm excited about Texans football again. And, um, you know, I, I was out on O'Brien. The moment I wanted him gone is when he traded Jadevi on Clowney. And I have no patience for him ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was the end of it for me. So I lasted a little bit longer than a lot of these other, um, folks, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm excited about the future. And, you know, you look back when the chiefs got Mahomes when he was the starter, it didn't take long for them to get it going. When Lamar Jackson was made the starter in his first full season, they were 14-2. and two. They had to change the offense completely. You see the Chiefs this year. I know it's Bill Belichick, but he made a major adjustment with their quarterback. There are people out there who can turn this thing around. Now, the resource end of it and the draft capital part of it and all that, yeah, that's going to be a problem. But with coaching, you can over – with when you have elite talent at quarterback and you have good coaching – you can at least stay competitive. And that's kind of what I, I hope happens. And I guess my final thought is just going to be this. I, I really think right now, like this, I don't know if Cal McNair will sign up for this, but I feel like they have to trade JJ Watt while they can still get something for him because of the lack of draft mm-hmm. capital we have. They have to look at their veterans and get whatever they can to load up for this next draft and whoever is going to be the GM. That's, that's my feeling. I hate, I would hate to see him go, but Bill O'Brien did a lot of damage to this franchise, both, you know, on the field product and off the field in the offices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a really great point. That's kind of the hard thing about having general manager. It's like, you have Jack Easterby try to trade brand cooks and David Johnson and JJ Watt and, you know, Wolf maybe potentially Wolf Fuller or whoever, like who's going to be the one who's going to make those decisions to um, move players around while they're still underneath under contract before the trade deadline this year. If that is even a possibility. And, I think this is one of the hard things to have to navigate too. But yeah, like, and Watt hasn't been Watt this year as well. And uh, I love, you know, JJ's the best player in franchise history, but um, now you're looking at like an entirely different team that's about to, you know, grow out of this firing. And I think that would be something that Houston you know, should pursue as well too. Uh, Joe, what are your closing thoughts? Um, this is the, uh, this is the first step towards a, a better Houston football team. Hopefully uh, Bill O'Brien had his moments. Uh, he had the most important two things a head coach can have, which is wins and luck. And he was fresh out of both this season. So he's gone. <laughs> and besides that, uh, he completely mismanaged uh, Deshaun Watson and his offense and did the cardinal sin of trying to construct a, an offense around his ideals instead of trying to construct an offense around his players, uh, which you mentioned, that's the opposite of what uh, happened with Mahomes, Jackson, 
uh, Russell Wilson, all the other good quarterbacks. So this is hopefully the first step towards Eric Bieniemy or Byron Leftwich, uh, coaches that I can trust that would design an offense around Watson's talents. Uh, and hopefully they'll have the same two important things, wins and luck. And hopefully they'll last longer than Bill O'Brien did. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, UT, what are your closing thoughts? Well, the other guys kind of summed up a lot of what I was thinking, too. I'll add that, uh, honestly, this should have happened three years ago, but it's a little too late to be complaining about that and just be glad that he that it happened now. But uh, the next thing we need to consider, it's great that uh, he Bill O'Brien's gone. And for the record, I like Bill O'Brien personally. I think he's a, he seems like a pretty solid dude, but he was just way in over his head this whole thing. And the next thing we have to consider, like put up in front of us is uh, getting rid of Jack Easterby because I mean maybe he'll surprise us maybe he'll surprise us during the season I don't know I'm not optimistic that's kind of not my part that's kind of not my thing being optimistic but um, I think that's the next thing we have to do but and speaking personally I'm going to be kind of sad to see Bill O'Brien gone just because that means it's going to be really hard to put out the Ministry of Information anymore <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm sure you'll find something uh just as beautiful, you know, as as we go through this year too. And yeah, I'll miss the MLI, MLI always forever, but at least you can click that tag on the website and, and pull it up and be able to still read those as well. Uh so Scott, what are your closing thoughts for tonight? Uh echoing a lot of what other individuals say. I mean, personally when we hired O'Brien uh, after the disaster it was thirteen season, I thought it was a great hire. Uh, I was, you know, Penn State fan seeing what he did and that nightmare dumpster fire of a situation i thought okay this could work out especially because the team just had that year but there was still a pretty good core coming back but um you know i think and this is going to be like the most recent case example if any coach is thinking you know i can do the gm manager job too i think an owner just needs to tell the coach go you know pull up wikipedia on bill o'brien see what happened to him uh you cannot do wear both hats in the NFL. It's just better coaches than Bill O'Brien did that, and they were like, "No, that's like you know, kind of like Gandalf with the ring. Don't don't tempt me with that." They they knew the danger. <laughs> uh, Bob unfortunately did not. Uh, I think he's going to get hired again soon. Um, I will admit the last few games were painful, not just because the Texans lost, but it just wasn't exciting. Usually yeah. for the Texans, even if they lost, they tended to make it pretty interesting. It was just it wasn't exciting. Now. I, you know, this may be the lost season. It's going to be real interesting to see what they do uh, in the in the you know days, weeks, months ahead. But you know, I think surprising is the timing, but it's a move that had to be made. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I think, although you know, uh, Pat obviously he was good for a lot of material. And it was good for a lot of material for me too. So I'm gonna to have to figure out a new way to do this. But. Um, We'll uh, we'll figure it out, but I, I think it's gonna may not be a lot of wins, but I think it's gonna be fun to see what uh, what happens over the next few weeks with this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me personally, it's one of those things where like I'm just glad to have you know my favorite football team back and not have to be like constantly you know uh, I wouldn't say like I wasn't looking forward to Sunday, but just like understand yeah you know, that they play this brand of football that is very like you know competent, just barely good enough consistently. But it's never gonna get you past you know any sort of point. It's also just like it was just boring football to watch. So the games may have been close, but 
offensively, they were just kind of boring. And I don't have the same feelings about any of the O'Brien teams that I had about like, you know, QBX Texans in 11 or, or 12, or even like, you know, Oh nine when they at least had like a really great offense and they score a lot of points, the defense split. Like I don't have those same sort of like enjoy. I didn't have the same level of enjoyment that I did, you know, the beginning of last decade than I did at the end of this uh, last decade too. So um, I'm just like, I'm just excited just to watch good, fun, interesting, um, enjoyable Texans football again. And hopefully that starts as early as this year with Cornelis inter- interim head coach. And I guess Tim Kelly being able to do whatever he wants, which I have no idea what that could even uh, possibly be. And seeing some of these young guys maybe get a chance too, but regardless, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting again. And uh, I'm looking forward to the future. And uh, it feels weird saying that after like kind of, uh, you know, kind of knowing what you're going to get every single year for the last, you know, seven years of Texans football. But anyways, that's our show for tonight. Thank you for listening to Battle Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight. Carlos, Joe, Diehard Chris, UT, and Scott. I hope I got all of y'all. I don't know. I may miss somebody. But uh, I hope you all have a great night. Thanks again for being on tonight. Glad to be here, man. Thank Thanks you. For me. Yep. Thank, thanks. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>